calling all lovers of mystery and fans of a good story. If you haven't already heard me talk about June's journey, you're in for a treat. It's time to don your detective hat in this free hidden object mobile game that delves into the captivating journey of June Parker, a self-proclaimed detective on a quest to unravel the mystery surrounding her sister's untimely death. In June's journey, you get to play as June, deciphering clues and unveiling secret plots within thousands of beautifully illustrated scenes. And did I mention it's set in the glitzy 1920s? New chapters are added weekly, so you will never run out of new thrills to uncover, and you can also personalize and decorate your very own Orchid Island where the story takes place. How sharp are your detective skills? Find out when you download June's Journey on your Android or iOS device, or play online via Facebook games. Your detective journey awaits. Hey there, it's Rachel Ballinger, and I am thrilled to invite you to Rachel Uncensored, my podcast where I get real with my friends and celebrity guests, where we talk about all sorts of topics. From personal stories to hot-button issues, we cover it all. New episodes drop every Wednesday, so make sure you tune in on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Trust me, you won't want to miss out on the fun and candid conversations we have here on Rachel Uncensored. Hello and welcome to the Drabblecast, episode 75. The Drabblecast is a weekly flash fiction podcast magazine that brings strange stories by strange authors to strange listeners, such as yourself. I'm your host, Norm Sherman. Today, Trifecta 4. The Trifecta is a special that we do occasionally, featuring three super short stories back-to-back in one episode. This week, being somewhat significant as our 75th episode, also has a special Bartle fixed to the end, so stick around for that. Well, let's get right to it. Our first story is called Ephemeroptera's Lament, written by Craig Watson. Craig was born and raised in England, but now lives in Milwaukee, Wisconsin with his wife, two cats, and a large collection of snowflakes. He's a member of the Milwaukee Writers Group, and we're happy to be able to feature this story as first of our trifecta. So, without further ado... Ephemeroptera's Lament by Craig Watson. We're lying in the sun, letting our wings dry, when a thought suddenly occurs to me. Do you think it's fair? What's that? says Bob. He's sitting beside me, fat and lazy, with his three tails flickering lightly in the spring breeze. Our lot in life, I reply. It just doesn't seem fair. You think too much. No, seriously, think about it. Just one day? That's not enough. So help me God, Dave, he says, turning to me. I should beat your wine and butt back into the sediment. We're going to get laid, for Christ's sake. Ever since we were naiads, we've been waiting for this day, and all you can do is complain about it? I, I can't help it. He sighs and stretches, calming back down. Sure, it's one day, but it's a good day. It could have been raining, but no. Look around you. The sun's shining. The stream's trickling. There's a ton of ladies. Check her out over there. Which one? The one with the big eyes. They've all got big eyes, Bob. No. Her. He motions emphatically. The one with the biggest eyes. Yeah, she's she's kind of cute, but... 
but don't you wish you had more time? Don't you wish you could do more? See the world? Experience different cultures? Sample different foods? Your mouth parts are vestigial, Dave. It's a rhetorical question, asshole. We sit without talking for a few moments, listening to the sounds of nature unfolding around us. Others are already taking off in large numbers. The air is awash with enthusiastic, horny teenagers. Look at that, says Bob, staring into the spiraling morass above our heads. It's magnificent. It does get the old hemolymph pumping, I agree. You ready yet? Give me a few more minutes. At first, Bob looks as though he's going to stay around and continue our conversation, and then a girl skitters past and he loses all interest in me. Well, buddy old pal, our wings are finally dry, so I think I'm going to hit that. Nice knowing you, I reply. He poises himself, wiggles a little, and then starts beating his tiny little wings. They move faster and faster until they become a bright silver blur. Slowly, his bulk begins to rise above the surface of the stream. Bob always ate too much as a nymph, and frankly, I think it's a miracle that he gets his fat-ass airborne at all. (laughs) You go, boy, I cheer. Yeah, the chicks are in trouble now. His achievement is short-lived, though, for he's no more than three inches above the surface of the water when the vast maw of a carnivorous trout bursts forth and snaps shut around him. I can't believe how quickly it all happens. The jaws close like a triggered steel bear trap, and the fish descends back into the broiling waters from whence it came, with Bob still shouting muffled and unrepeated insults from inside its oily gullet. I watched the whole terrifying ordeal with my peristaltic dorsal vessel hammering in my chest like a steam train. It's something I'll never forget for the rest of my hours. I don't have time to mourn the loss of my voluminous friend, though, because out of nowhere, another girl flies past in a glorious green-yellow blur. She's the most beautiful thing I've ever seen, with diaphanous angel wings and big, sexy compound eyes that seem to say, Come get some, big boy. She winks at me, although she has no eyelids, so I'm inclined to think it's a trick of the light, and I stare back at her as she ascends gracefully into the boisterous maelstrom of the mating swarm. All my shock, my grief and my preposterous musings are suddenly wiped away by a single rampant biological urge. Wait! I cry, and I take off after her. Eventually, I catch up with her. Her name, it turns out, is Clara. I think maybe I was right. Maybe it really does suck to be a mayfly. But up here, doing what I was born to do... It doesn't seem to matter anymore. Because although I only get this one day, this one spectacular zenith, right now, I just can't think of a better way to go. Our next story is called The Crack in the Cosmic Egg by Mike Resnick. Mr. Resnick's bio is so prolific it really is amazing. In a few words, he's won five Hugo Awards and is the leading award winner for short fiction among all science fiction writers, ever. The long version includes pages and pages of fiction and nonfiction credits, collie breeding, and African safaris. Check out his webpage in our show notes for more information. It's read to us by B.J. Harrison, the creator, producer, and narrator of the Classic Tales podcast. 
Rather than tell you about Classic Tales myself, I'll air this short promo and tell you that you really should check them out. It's one of my top five favorite podcasts. Edgar Allan Poe, H.P. Lovecraft, Arthur Conan Doyle. These are the greatest writers of all time. Join me, B.J. Harrison, and we'll visit the worlds they created. We'll explore everything from premature burials and headless horsemen to Sherlock Holmes and potions from mad scientists. Adventure and enchantment await you every week as classic short fiction from the masters is presented complete and unabridged with professional skill on the Classic Tales podcast. Thomas Hardy, William Shakespeare, Mark Twain. So, without additional unsolicited ado, The Crack in the Cosmic Egg by Mike Resnick. Once upon a time, there was this primal atom, or cosmic egg, or YLEM, or whatever you want to call it. And one day, though of course they didn't really have days back then, it blew up. Hence, the universe. And since the universe will continue to expand for all eternity, that's just about all she wrote in the way of cosmic phenomena on the grand scale, right? No such luck. Yeah, I know what you're going to say. That Einstein was right, and gravity is the glue that holds everything together. Which isn't all that profound when you sit down and really start to think about it. And that the various stars and galaxies are so far-flung that there's no longer a sufficient gravitic force to pull them back together. Furthermore, I hear you say, there's simply not enough mass in the universe to give any credence to the old expansion-contraction theory. But let me tell you about that. Old Albert E. was right about one hell of a lot of things. And he wasn't the first, either. In point of fact, he was the 63rd to come up with a special theory of relativity. I just keep mentioning him because he was the most recent to be proven painfully, tragically, terminally right. Of course, in old Albert's case, he was just the theorist. The real culprit was Hector Apollo Throop. Now, Throop wasn't really that much of a theoretical mathematician, and as philosophers go, he was pretty second-rate. It's doubtful that he ever truly understood Einstein, though it probably wouldn't have made much difference if he had. What Throop set out to do was create a faster-than-light drive. Oh, it had been done before, here and elsewhere, 62 times, in fact, many of them quite by accident. But Throop had no way of knowing that. He just knew that he wanted to make a buck. No major government would spring loose any funds for him. After all, Einstein had said that you couldn't go faster than the speed of light. But Throop found himself a little oil-rich Arab Republic and sold them a bill of goods. He talked about international prestige and full employment for a veritable army of semi-skilled workers and the purity of science and just about everything else you could think of except Einstein. So he raised the funds and he hired a bunch of scientific charlatans who knew even less about Einstein than he himself did and he went to work. And damned if he didn't come up with a prototype model of a faster-than-life spaceship in something under three years. 
Wild, huh? Well, the really wild part came next. The ship actually worked. Oh, it didn't exceed the speed of light. Einstein had said that it couldn't be done, and he was absolutely right. But old Albert never did say that you couldn't equal the speed of light. He simply pointed out the consequences of doing so. And that was the kicker. The little bombshell buried deep inside good old E equals MC squared. You know the part. As you approach the speed of light, your mass approaches infinity. Well, when you reach the speed of light, your mass reaches infinity. Now just pause for a second and pretend you're Hector Apollo Throop and think about what that means, other than the fact that your cakes won't rise and your souffles will fall flat. Gravity is an inherent property of mass. And in the instant or two of cogency that remained to him just before he equaled the speed of light, Throop finally realized what effect the sudden creation of an infinite mass would have on an expanding universe. Except that it wasn't expanding anymore. All of its various parts were racing for Throop's ship as if Judgment Day was just around the corner. Which indeed it was. For the 63rd time. The End Finally, we bring you No Strings Attached by Thane Thompson. Thane writes literary prose and poetry, fantasy, and science fiction. He's a relatively new writer who has somehow found himself the resident of a decidedly middle-aged body. However, he's certain that if the Rogaine doesn't work, the celery tonic will. His work has appeared in the Writer's Eye magazine, Six Sentences, Micro Horror, Tiny Flashes, and is forthcoming in Psychufest and Poesia. He lives in southwest Ohio with his wife, their two daughters, and another pair of highly opinionated cats. The story is read to you by a voice you're probably familiar with, Steve Ely from the phenomenal weekly sci-fi podcast Escape Pod. If you're a fan of science fiction, then you already know about Escape Pod. The rest of you fall into the other category, those who really like science fiction but don't know it yet. You owe it to yourself to at least give Escape Pod a shot. The diversity of the fantastic fiction they offer on a weekly basis is really extraordinary. So without excessive and redundant ado, No Strings Attached by Thane Thompson. On the 8th anniversary of my wife Alice's death, the guys in the shop decided I should get back out there. They knew what I'd say if I was the only one who had to do it, so they made it into a game. We each wrote our name on a piece of paper and tossed it into a hat. Whoever's name got drawn had to put a personal ad in the local paper. They were fair about it, at least, because my name didn't come out until week six. By then, Aquaman 68 and Hobby Horse had both struck out cold. When I got picked, the boys started catcalling up to me where I sat beside the register on the sales counter. You the puppet, Hank! Go, stick boy! In falsetto, Jack in the Box moaned, These splinters better be worth it. Here's what I put in the ad. Thick-headed liberal, 52, seeks like-minded companion for fun, conversations, and hanging around. No strings attached. 
I might be a puppet, but I'm nobody's stooge. No throwbacks need apply. Please respond by mail to Box 58347. At least one nice girl has to read the city paper, right? Besides, Alice left me enough to afford an occasional laugh, even at my own expense. Several replies trickled in over the next week, but something in Sarah's letter struck me. It wasn't the words she used so much as the way she used them. I wrote back, letting my ornery and obnoxious self show, knowing my response would either make it or break it. Between suggesting a presidential lobotomy and paying higher taxes, I also mentioned my interest in an oversexed and underclothed lifestyle. Hey, all I had to do was go down trying. If I rolled a seven and crapped out, the pen got passed down the line. Deep down, I knew Alice was the only girl for me. The first week rolled past, and I started to feel relieved. My little ploy had worked. We'd all agreed that if two weeks went by without a return response, it would be the next guy's turn. I was just thinking I was off the hook when the rusty mail slot creaked open and her letter dropped onto the dusty floor. Hobby Horse picked it up and handed it off to Monchichi, who trundled it over to the sales counter. He crawled up from the floor, did a flip, and handed the envelope to me with a flourish. She wrote back, he screeched. Great. Inside, Sarah went on and on about my letter, how my honesty was so refreshing, how she loved my irreverent sense of humor. Something in this hollow wooden chest of mine gave a flip-flop, and for the first time in forever, I felt a few of my strings loosen as some of my grief began to slip away. Before I knew it, I was writing back to her. Sarah wrote back again, and pretty soon I was looking forward to the mail slot's rusty creak as our words came and went every three or four days. The crisis arrived on a Tuesday. She just had to meet me. She couldn't wait any longer to put a face with the name and the wit and the sarcasm. She'd come to rely on my weekly visits to her mailbox. Now she wanted more. I knew I couldn't resist. I wanted to meet her too, but I had my reservations. I'm something of a recluse, I warned in my last letter before we met. In fact, I'm really afraid I won't be what you're expecting. Just promise, no matter what happens, that you'll keep writing to me. She promised. Now, I just had one last thing to take care of. Like it was any other day, I was sitting on the counter when she came in. As the door squeaked open, I put down the newspaper to cover up the scissors I'd just finished using. Sarah wore a cute little sundress that showed off her figure. She stood for a moment, letting her eyes adjust from the bright summer gloaming to the inky gloom of our little shop. She looked around, taking in the dust and clutter and dankness of the place. As I hopped down to the floor, I felt muscle and skin and bone grow back to replace the hollow wood that had made up my body for so long. In a quiet voice, she said, You're not a puppet. Nope, I'm just a goofy toy store owner. You weren't really expecting a marionette, were you? (laughs) Well, I was sort of worried that I'd have to manipulate your strings or stick my hand up your butt and run your mouth. I chuckled. And to think, I said, I've always dreamed of starring in that scene from The Sound of Music. She paused, then gave me a coy little smile. You mean the puppet show with the lonely goat herd? Did you want to be the herder or the goats? Depends, I said. Would you play the maiden or the butcher? She giggled this time, and the music of it washed over me. Considering my last few dates, I'd probably be the butcher. I smiled. Well, I guess I'll have to take my chances. 
I offered her my arm, guiding her past the balding hobby horse and the moldering stacks of comics. On the cover of issue number 68, a grinning Aquaman gave me a frozen thumbs up. At the outdoor cafe, the summer breeze danced around us. It brushed the last bits of dust off me and made me recall a memory from long ago. For just a second, the grief threatened to creep back in, to tie me down again. Then Sarah reached over and took my hand, and I forgot all about those old strings. Well, that was our trifecta. Hope you enjoyed it. We're going to close off with a special Bartle. For those of you new to the Drabblecast, a Bartle is not only an anagram for the word Drabble, it's also a song I write for the listeners who make large donations to the Drabblecast. A way to say thank you for enjoying what we do and helping us out. Essentially, I write and perform a song based on whatever subject matter you want, in whatever style you want. This Bartle is special because it was organized and purchased by several of the listeners in our forum at www.drabblecast.org. Specifically, Kevin Anderson, Justin Lowmaster, Mr. Tweedy, Tom Baker, and Chivalry Bean. They wanted a song where every line was about a Drabblecast episode, from episode 1 to episode 75, in the style of Bob Dylan. Sheesh. Therefore, what you're about to hear will probably be more enjoyable and make more sense if you've been a longtime fan of the Drabblecast, and also if you're reading the lyrics, which will be posted on the forums, while you listen. Every line at least captures the spirit of the episode that it was intended to. And I'll tell ya, it wasn't easy. But admittedly, it was kind of fun. And not to brag, but I just found out that one of my songs just won an honorable mention for the 2008 Indie International Songwriting Competition— Ooh, big deal, you say. Well, the song was about milking whales for cheese, and that subject is a big deal to me, so I'm kind of proud. If you'd like to hear it, buy my CD for only a few bucks at normsherman.com. I'd love to sell you one. Well, that's all for this week. Remember, we thrive on your donations, so chuck us a few bucks if you enjoy what we do. Also, we use a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives license, which means you can't, wait, you can share it all you like. (laughs) I messed that up. I've said this 75 times and I messed that up. Anyway, it means you can share this all you like. You just can't change it or you can't sell it. Our staff is made up of co-editors Kendall Marchman, Luke Coddington, and yours truly, Norm Sherman, reminding you, happy 75th episode, everyone. I once knew a puppy with a devil of a cough And I once knew a unicorn whose horn had broken off There were times when I would find myself crawling on a subway floor With my hand knocking hard on Uncle Ollie's back door It seemed like sometimes my angel was a demon in disguise And sometimes my lover summoned fire from the skies And sometimes my backup showed up late to the scene Sometimes I got diarrhea and I had to wipe with leaves And time didn't stop just because I broke my clock Felt like a little black death was always somewhere just around the block With spots and stripes and black and white it looked into my mind That killer whale made of bolts and nails is my very own design 75 lives Oh 
75 miles You see everything seems backwards When you're stuck inside a mirror And life can seem quite scary When you're living it in fear If you don't ever leave your colony You never know what you might find Your life is like a highway You should follow all the speeding signs I learned that animated porn is precious And gives us the courage to not back down And one day you'll see that old baby If you can keep it from flopping around And you shouldn't just go to fairy church You should become ecclesiastic And you shouldn't disown your loved ones Just because they're made of plastic The porpoise and the octopus may want you to splash around But don't forget your mama when she said Put that boulder down And when a carny man tries to offer you a safer place to hide If you step inside that portal, make sure you're ready for the other side 75 lines Oh, 75 lines I had a zigzag feeling deep inside of me Not that little old lady going up that hill wasn't what she seen, but she told me growing up is crazy, but it's more fun than being dead. Yeah, ghosts will be the first to tell you that. When they're standing at the foot of your bed, she said you'll never find what it is you're looking for in some hillbilly's rear. And you'll never taste the thrill of danger if you don't swallow up your fear. And if your problems seem improbable, it's probably cause they are. Whether you're the warden or the prisoner, you're still trapped behind a set of bars. So I listened to the elder, and I journeyed across the sand And I sold myself some adverts and became a wealthy man I traded all my sorrows, got that monkey off my back And I had no plans for moving on until that time was tapped Then I heard that the man on the moon was a happy man Well fed and well sexed And he sold his dreams while robots cleaned and clones worked out their pecs but his dreams and mine seemed so much alike I couldn't see any differences So I figured his eyes were better than mine And I took one of his Well, concealer couldn't conceal his wrath And he set me in my place Told me a hard day's work for a hard day's pay Was the way that he was raised I turned rabbit shaped and ice cream cold As he rolled up his sleeve to fight Then I saw the end coming from a mile away So I traveled back in time 75 lines Oh, 75 lines Then I got lost in the forest Cause all the trees looked the same And a wolf came out of the bushes But she turned out to be pretty tame She said, I'll let you be if you get in that stream Bring me in that fish some kids use worms, some worms use kids I won't debate the bait, I'll let you pick Well, I conjured up a hell of a plan I don't know what got into me I used my head and my inner strength to overcome my anxiety I jumped into that river and said I bet you won't follow me in You're not worth my time, the sheep will grind So I guess that means you win And then my soul sang songs only I could hear As I crossed to the other side I thought the grass would be greener, but the fruit was meaner, so I hastened up my stride. And I wound up lost in a foreign land that turned people into swine. And the job I found put me underground where the sun would never shine. 75 lines. Oh, 75 lines. That's right.
found 10,435,000 different troubles in my life stool. I was keeping them alive in my mind the whole time. There was only one thing left to do. And as I set them on fire and the flames rose higher, a tear fell from my eye. The warmth of the flames behind me reminded me of kissing my lover goodbye. And the splat from a Democrat blast went Yeah, my mind went blank, it all happened so fast The problems in the world can seem so immense If we could spread the light around, they might start to make sense You can hide in a cave for the rest of your days You can run from the devil till the end of your race You can bury your fingers in your Uncle Carl's eyes Cause you're the storyteller in the story of your life Reality bites, but only if you let it Take a trip down further and I'm sure you won't regret it The rats in the souffle are getting worse every day You gotta go all in before it's too late Drink the coffee and everything will be alright With no strings attached you'll fly faster than the speed of light 75 lives Every five minutes, a transplant candidate dies while waiting for a compatible heart, liver, or kidney. Imagine a technology that could provide those life-saving transplant organs for a high price, and imagine what a company would do to monopolize that technology. On a remote island in Lake Superior, a team of geneticists unlocks this holy grail of medicine by reverse engineering the genomes of all mammals, creating an animal with organs perfectly suitable for human transplantation. They envisioned a docile herd animal, but one team member had another, darker vision. This ancestor is anything but docile. The team's work spawns something big, something evil, something very, very hungry. Ancestor is a complete serialized fiction podcast by number one New York Times bestselling novelist Scott Sigler with all episodes available. Binge the entire story now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts.